Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Motorcycle Madhouse, and on this episode, we're going to dive deep into the subject of the DOJ's long-running willful and wanton misconduct against non-cooperating criminal defendants. If you haven't already subscribed to any of our social media accounts like YouTube or Facebook, give them a follow and don't forget to subscribe to us over on Anchor FM, Spotify, or iTunes Radio. Also, if you like to contribute to the show, and we really would appreciate it, you guys are the best, and to help keep us on the air, you can do so through the Super Chat on YouTube, PayPal, or on Anchor FM. Without your support, we wouldn't be able to stay on the air. This is everybody's show, and we appreciate everything. Recent policies across several social media platforms have limited a creator's way of making the bills, so a lot of creators are turning to their audience for help in order to keep bringing you the content that you love. So, before we get going into the main subject today, we had someone try and challenge our claim of being one of the top 5% of websites in the United States. You know, they always want to challenge us. But, as you all know, we would not put out a claim we could not back up. Take a look at this video real quick. I'm going to walk you through how we came up with that claim. So... Yep, got our ducks in the order. <laughs> but unlike others, we always, you know, want to make sure we have the proof. Let's just put it that way. Take a look. Take a look. Okay, so I'm going to take you through this so you can see the proof for yourselves. Now, Alexis or Alexa is the premium that advertisers use to check out a website for advertising. So... You'll go to Alexa, and what you're to do, you'll hit the classic, that's the preview, and you're going to enter our site in there, www.harleyliberty.com, and you're going to hit find, and it's going to pull up, boom, traffic statistics. Rank in the United States, 272,013. Uh, Global rank, we got it actually went down, so I got to beef that up. But that shows you our rank in the United States. Percent of viewers, 98.5. Rank in the country, 272,013. So there is Alexa. That is the premium service that everybody uses to gauge a site's popularity and advertise pay for you know for the agents marketers all that stuff resources 
So this is the gold standard, and that's what uh, Harley Liberty is ranked on. Because, again, we had a question, well, you're not top 5% uh, in the United States. Well, you know, we never put anything out there unless we can prove it. Everybody should know that about Insane Throttle by now. Uh, now, if you take a look at how many websites uh, are in the United States, how many websites in the United States? Now, again, ooh, big one. <laughs> 876.8 million. Now you can either you can even go in. Well, how many websites in there? Well, there was over, over what over a billion websites. So with that, you can see how me, how we rank according and why we put out top one of the top five percent. Yes, we get a huge amount of traffic, people, huge amount. So hopefully that answers that question from that uh, idiot that. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know, you patting yourself on the back. No, we always have our proof. Motorcycle Madhouse on Spotify and iTunes Radio. Any questions? See, that's the problem with most on the internet. They always talk before they know what they are talking about. These people never have any facts to back up what they're saying. HarleyLiberty.com, again, gets a massive amount of traffic each and every month. So much so that we've had multiple offers from news media outlets to buy the site. Well, I'm not a sellout and would never let some yuppie rub idiot destroy what we built. Especially... When it took years of building. <laughs> it took years, trust me. See, when Insane Throttle first started out, I didn't worry about social media. The only concentration was on building the site up. Call me old school. It wasn't until just this year where we started worrying about social media. For example... The YouTube channel. Ah, YouTube. This channel has only been up since July of last year and already has over 10,000 subscribers to it. Now, granted, until recently, I would delete subs so I could keep it under 10,000 because I wanted a place on the net where talking to everyone was manageable. But when the platform started demonetization and doing it to a lot of the videos, we decided to let it grow and just go. The moral of the story is the reach of Insane Throttle is worldwide and it's real expansive. Trust me, it's hard to keep up. With that comes responsibility and making sure we get both sides of the story out. Something we pride ourselves on. We really do. We pride ourselves on giving everybody a chance, good or bad. So, hopefully that BS is behind us. And now, we are going to talk about the main subject of our episode today. The DOJ's fair and impartial administration of justice for all Americans, everyone. The material you're about to hear is from Feds Gone Bad. It's a blog site. It's awesome and was forwarded to us by an attorney's office. This is right here. This is what was forwarded to us. I highly suggest you going over to the site, which I'll put in the show notes, uh, but it's HTTP colon backslash backslash fedsgonebad.blogspot.com. The following article is mind-blowing and the very reason every club, every biker, 
needs to start getting into this fight against government corruption. Holy cow, do they need to get involved. This kind of government corruption erodes the rights of every American citizen. And it should dis you guys should be disgusted with what is happening. This article is titled Fraudulent Plea Agreements. The DOJ's long-running willful and wanted misconduct brings chaos, violence, and murder to numerous non-cooperating criminal defendants. Unreal. April 2nd, 2019, it was posted by the One Percenters. United States Justice Department lawyers and federal prosecutors across our country combined conspired and agreed to a course of action in which can only be characterized as an ends justify the means. It's a whole scheme. And yet another policy or practice, the DOJ's attitude of invincibility and unaccountability, prosecutors carried out a plan to subject all, all non-cooperating criminal defendants as cannon fodder in a ruse designed to co conceal rewarded criminals who traded information or, and or testimony in exchange for reduced charges and prison sentences. Yep, they were given the rats to deal. They were given all kinds of incentives. Inscapable documentation and evidence show that at least from 1992 to 2000, that's a long time right there, government prosecutors implemented a policy or practice for which any unofficial person should be and probably would be charged with a wide array of federal crimes. The DOJ's sinister scheme involved cheating. You know what? It involved creating a false narrative by knowingly inserting a series of egregious misrepresentations into all plea agreements of the defendants that did not cooperate as a means and method, this is unreal, to protect persons who actually were cooperating with the government, consisting of a non-negotiable standardized paragraph of fallacious agreements to make all non-cooperating defendants appear as snitches, rats, or stool pigeons. The effect of the, fraud, uh, the fraudulent plea agreements was to require the lawyers to mislead the, uh, the court. Here's a quotation from a letter April 13, 2004, and it was from the Federal Defender Services of Wisconsin. You will be able to see this on their site. They got attachments. The United States Attorney's Office in Milwaukee refused to enter into a plea agreement with a non-cooperating defendant. Again, it's all in here. Without the fraudulent pro, uh, paragraph quoting the April 13, 2004 letter, and that's uh, shown in the quotations on their site. But it reads, the fraudulent plea agreements, the express malice behind this scheme was so flagrant, so outrageous, and so subversive of both the human rights of non-cooperating defendants and the integrity of the judicial process itself rises to a new level of truly conscience-shocking conduct by the DOJ. Lady Justice is supposed to be blind, right? Yeah. For nearly a decade, non-cooperating defendants were either beguiled 
and or coerced into signing what amounted to clearly unlawful plea agreements filed with the courts. Purporting, in relevant part, quote, the defendant, by entering into this plea agreement, further agrees, further agrees to fully and completely cooperate with the government in its investigation. What investigation? Investigation of this and related matters and to testify, testify truthfully and completely before the grand jury and at any subs uh, subsequent trials or proceedings if asked to do so. What a crock. Furthermore, the government agrees that any information provided by the defendant pursuant to this paragraph will not be used directly against the defendant. <laughs> Except as provided in the, you know, the letter. And further will not be used in determining the applicability, uh, applicable sentence guidelines range, but will be brought to the attention of the sentencing court as contemplated by the sentencing guidelines. Oh my God. Unreal. And this according to the, the guideline manual, section 1, uh, Bravo 1.8. And it also says, see uh, United States versus Dominic case number or 00-CR-234, ED Wisconsin docket number 8. <laughs> Prosecutors bring on the mayhem and violence. Here's another one. Strikingly resemblance to and most likely straight from the playbook of the FBI's Notorious National Counterintelligence Program. Starting to scare you guys yet? The DOJ's deprived policy or practice was calculated with a propensity to do much more than to simply protect persons who were actually cooperating with the government. With such a scheme, it necessarily correlates to a design that was further calculated to expose a great number, a great number of non-cooperating defendants while serving their prison sentences and after their release to harassment, severe emotional distress, threatened use of physical force, extreme violence, and in some cases, murder. This is your government. The soulless architects of this scheme destroyed countless lives. Moreover, the consequences and ripple effects of this diabolical sham continues to adversely affect a great number of Americans. No one is above the law. Sooner or later, the truth catches up. The prosecutors lawyers, and judges that manifested an agreement to participate in this conduct of this conspiracy at a minimum violated Title 18 United States Code Section 373. Title 18 United States Code Section 371 and Title 18 United States Code Section 2, in addition, documents submitted to a court that are not factually and legally justified violate Rule 11B of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure. This is not even a close call. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. 
The DOJ is responsible for an, or an epidemic of mayhem and violence and violations of basic human rights spanning decades. This certainly are conflicts within the DOJ's mission to ensure public safety and to seek just punishment for those guilty of unlawful behavior and to ensure fair and impartial administration of justice for all Americans. Seemingly ingrained with a us versus them mentality, prosecutors complicit in this fraudulent plea agreement scheme are reminded of the words inscribed on the wall of the Attorney General's rotunda in Washington, D.C., Quote, the United States wins its point whenever justice is done, its citizens in court. Not when DOJ lawyers falsely brand non-cooperating defendants as snitches, rats, and flippers in fraudulent plea agreements to protect persons who actually were, con they were the ones cooperating with the government, them not the non-cooperators. Unreal. The governor should be accountable to the governed. This cover-up has gone on long enough. The rule of law is the cornerstone of our constitutional system of government. It is something that each one of us needs to stand up for and defend the crimes perpetrated by the now ironically named Department of Justice lawyers went beyond many of those committed by the non-cooperating non defendants that have been victimized by this scheme. If you are outraged by this clear case of wanton and reckless governmental misconduct, you need to start forwarding this report to the following components of the DOJ requesting the review, investigation, and disposition. You need to get involved. This is just freaking crazy. Freaking craziness. Here's a letter. And it left out who it was addressed to. Your letter of April 7th letter arrived yesterday. Thank you for writing. You inquire into my recollection of our discussions concerning a particular paragraph of the plea agreement. Now, this is where they were talking back and forth. Which you quote, my recollection is the same as yours. For practical purposes, we discuss that paragraph like most or all other paragraphs in the agreement that you asked why it appeared in the plea agreement when you were not exchanging information about anyone else. I explained that the paragraph does not apply to you and probably further explained that at the time the United States Attorney's Office was taking the position that the paragraph must be, must be included in all plea agreements. They admitted it. They admitted it. To protect persons who actually were cooperating with the government. So what they're doing is making, again, those who didn't cooperate look like the rats by protecting the true ones. It goes on. I thought when the United States Attorney's policy was wrong and senseless, I opposed the policy. At the time, without any success. In my view, it is the government's responsibility to protect people who cooperate with the government. It really is. It's their responsibility. It is not the responsibility 
of those who do not choose, and that's again, who do not choose to become cooperators to provide cover for those who do. Further, the effect of the paragraph was to require the lawyers to mislead the court. Because, in fact, there was a side agreement not, uh, not to include in the plea agreement, you were not cooperating. That was supposed to be put in there. When the agreement's suggestion you were, the government's purpose may have been benign. I am willing, and it goes on, I am willing to assume for the sake of argument, but the fact is that the plea agreements, and this is a letter between the attorneys going on in a particular case, the fact is that the plea agreements containing this paragraph for those who were not cooperating were inaccurate. Finally, as you suggest, one possible effect of the paragraph was to expose non-cooperating defendants to harassment in prison by other inmates on the mistaken belief that these defendants, in fact, were cooperating with the United States government as a snitch, stool, pigeons, state's evidence, or whatever name you may wish to give cooperating witnesses. And this is something you don't want to go to prison on, trust me. And he goes on to say, I thought it that unfair, which it was. When a new United States Attorney Office in the district after President Bush's inauguration, the government policy changed. And everybody remembers that because of 9-11, uh, they went crazy on this Patriot Act stuff. The prosecution no longer insists on this paragraph in plea agreements as it did in the district at the time you accepted the plea. This letter he's getting in that prosecutor's ass right now. At the time, though, as I probably explained to you, the government would not enter into a plea agreement without that paragraph. So now they're hamstringing people who want to make plea deals but don't want to be considered a rat. That's their policy. It goes on. In short, then to my acknowledge, you never provided information to the government about anyone other than yourself. To my knowledge, you did not debrief with government agents. You did not testify for the government in any proceeding. So he's basically saying, yeah, you weren't a rat. Or for that matter, testify for anyone else. To my knowledge, you were not serving as an informant, as a cooperating individual, or as a cooperating witness. So basically, what does people have to do? And this sincerely, uh, Dean A. Strain. Uh, what's people have to freaking do here? They got to get a letter from the freaking prosecuting attorney that, hey, you weren't uh, freaking a cooperating witness after they already segregated you in the joint? Because they have to have this paragraph in there. Unfreaking real. That's our justice freaking department. That's the ones that uh, are supposedly, you know, they are there to make sure Lady Justice is blind. No, that is bull. They're not. They're scheming. They're there to make sure that they get their prosecutional freaking numbers or quota and they'll do anything possible to do it. This is insane. People, you need to get in. You need to get in this fight. Your rights are there and they're taking them. If you don't get in the fight, don't cry about it. That's what I have to say about this. And this is just unreal that this is our government. Our, o our DOJ. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Hi, this is James Hollywood Machikari, and if you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts, and you'll probably like music, too. 
On Spotify, you can listen to all that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the Motorcycle Madhouse, the one you're listening to right now. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcast so you never miss an episode. Download episodes to listen offline whenever you want and wherever you are. Easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social media platforms like Instagram. And just search for Motorcycle Madhouse on the Spotify app or browse podcast in the Your Library tab and follow me so you'll never miss an episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Spotify is the world's leading music streaming platform and now it can be your go-to podcast too. Motorcycle Madhouse on Spotify and iTunes Radio. Rico, forfeiture, the DOJ's tool to rob, plunder, and punish the unindicted collective membership of targeted motorcycle clubs. Now, this is another article we're going to talk about that was posted by the one percenters over on Feds Gone Bad. These articles are just amazing. Let's go. The United States Department of Justice purports to the general public, as well as all persons assessing the World Wide Web, that part of its mission is to ensure fair and impartial administration of justice for all Americans. <laughs> yeah. This, of course, is far more radical uh, than real when you become aware of the DOJ's insidious abuse of civil and criminal forfeitures laws in its crusade to seize heirlooms, items of clothing, club memorabilia, memorials from the indicted, unindicted collective membership of the Outlaws Motorcycle Club. Stooping even lower is the conscience-shocking seizure of headstones. They did this, commemorating deceased OMC members. Asset forfeiture has become a routine part of federal criminal law enforcement now that the DOJ has a direct interest in the outcome of the forfeiture proceedings. Yeah. Just had the Mongols case, didn't we? Half a million dollars. Before 1985, proceeds from asset forfeitures went into a general fund that Congress controlled. In 1986, the DOJ took over direct control of the forfeiture fund, which had roughly $94 million in deposits from asset forfeiture. By 2008, the number was $1 billion. By 2010, it was $2.5 billion, and currently the government is on a $4.4 billion annual pace. That's a year. The DOJ is literally addicted to forfeitures in a never-ending effort to fill its coffers with billions in U.S. currency. Furthermore, and recognized by the United, Stream, uh, United States Supreme Court, forfeiture is indeed improperly used as a tool wielded to punish those who associate with criminals rather than a component of a system of justice. This just came down. Federal law enforcement agencies, including the DEA, FBI, ATF, and other agencies of the Department of Homeland Security, initiate tens of thousands of administrative forfeiture cases every single year. And federal prosecutors file civil and uh, criminal forfeiture actions in federal courts in the thousands. In the thousands. 
New forfeiture cases are de uh, decided every week, making it difficult for the courts themselves, as well as practitioners, to keep current. As explained further in this posting, the collective membership of the OMC knows firsthand how broad the forfeiture provisions carry the potential for government abuse and can be devastating when used unjustly. Half a million dollars, remember that guys, that's what they uh, got ordered to pay. Who's going to pay it? A criminal defendant convicted of violating the Racketeering Influence and Corrupt Organization Act forfeits his or her interest in the RICO enterprise. Assets acquired in violation of the act and any, any proceeds derived from the defendant's racketeering activity to be derived from racketeering activity means that the property was obtained directly or indirectly from the proceeds of the pattern of the racketeering. That's what RICO is, folks. It was originally used to go after the mafia, but now they're using it against everybody. But let's go on. In addition, property, quote, affording a source of influence over, end quote, the charged RICO enterprise is subject to forfeiture. And it says C-18 USC 1963 A-2D, an example of the congressional intent of such property would be legally purchased an owned automobile that was otherwise used to collect and transport gambling debts. In other words, property affording a source of influence is only subject to forfeiture to the extent it is tainted, tainted by the racketeering activity. For nearly 80 years, the federal courts have held as a matter of law, forfeitures are not favored in the law and should be enforced only within both the letter and the spirit of the governing provisions. Again, you're to read the quotations of where this is at. This sounds good, but in reality, legal scholars recognize that the DOJ's interpretation of RICO forfeiture appears to be, quote, limited only by the prosecutor's ingenuous or as the case may be, its restraint. Quoting William W. Taylor III, the problem of proportionality in RICO forfeitures, 65 Notre Dame L, reference 885-888-1990. Down the rabbit hole of DA, DOJ fraud, whether motivated by malice or creative zeal, in 2010 and again in 2012, DOJ consigliaries and prosecutors came up with an initiative. It's an innovative scheme to seize and forfeit literally truckloads of clothing and memorabilia registered collective membership marks of the OMC, Inc., from the uncharged collective membership of the OMC by grossly extending the congressional intent of what constitu uh, constitutes property, quote, affording a source of influence over, end quote, a charge RICO enterprise. Reminiscent of invading North Korean and Chinese communist troops, stripping, plundering, and parading clothing, as well as indica or emblems of KIA and captured American soldiers during the war in South and North Korea back in the early 1950s, so too the DOJ began executing a strikingly similar campaign against the OMC. 
Over the last decade, the DOJ has been seizing and subsequently forfeiting trademark items of clothing and memorabilia from the unindicted collective membership of the OMC. As well as from other outlaw motorcycle clubs. To include, but not limited to, leather vests, club logos, and patches, t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, belt buckles, rings, banners, mirrors, flags, calendars, books, pictures, records, <laughs> everything, and com uh, plaques and photos of retired and deceased members. And in some cases, they're actual cremated remains. How disgusting. It appears that the DOJ has unleashed something of a de facto ethnic cleansing to eradicate decades of the OMC's heirlooms and heritage which have been previously preserved and passed on over several decades for posterity reasons. The government's manipulation of the RICO forfeiture statute, 18 U.S.C. section 1963, A2D, flat out omission of material facts, silence on conclusive evidence, along with its utter disregard for the federal rules of criminal and civil procedure, have been a mean and method in its conspiracy to plunder and stockpile. Plunder and stockpile. A smorgasbord of club-related patches and memorabilia from the OMC and their other targeted motorcycle clubs. The DOJ's fair and impartial administration of justice for all Americans, really? Further exemplifying the DOJ's attitude of invincibility and unaccountability. Do not ever expect proper statutory or constitutional notice of forfeiture from this branch of government. The rule of law means nothing to the DOJ in forfeiture proceedings. More startling and something similar to a rigged poker game. An unconstitutional alignment between prosecutors and former federal prosecutors that are now appointed to the bench for a lifetime tenures have inescapably assisted DOJ prosecutors and its counterintelligence operations or its uh, operatives in their quest to stockpile the OMC's very history. This is our DOJ, people. When Judah posed with the verified un controverted evidence submitted by representatives of the OMC which thoroughly proved the club's property was not subject to forfeiture and utterly ignored by the courts. A reasonable observer would indeed find that the decision started off with a desired result reasoned backwards. And we're clearly based on something other than merits. In the end, too often the DOJ act as if their role is not to protect constitutional rights, but rather to see how far they can bend them before the courts step in. That's RICO for you folks. That is the business the government's in now. That's why they had one of their highest forfeiture attorneys on the Mongols case. They're in business to make money now, not to make sure the law is blind, where it's equal. But we all know it's not equal. Yes, one of them days. And this information that I just read, again, 
Go to Feds Gone Bad. Beautiful website. These are your rights. This has nothing only to do with motorcycle clubs. It has to do with everybody. You got to get in the fight. But one thing we also have to do. We have to also stop giving the bastards a reason. We can't be on TV's the mobbing of two guys. You can't go out shooting each other on the streets and not expect us not to be invited. Get smart. But get involved in the fight. Get involved in it. Don't let other people have to get in the fight for you. This country right now is in a, a state that I, I was talking to somebody yesterday. I was like, you know what? This country don't even seem like the United States anymore. Growing up, it was never like this. But now you got all kinds of freaking stupid stuff going on. But the citizens are not holding the people in government accountable. And that's our fault. We have to get involved in the fight. On the next segment after this commercial, we're going to talk about the First Amendment. They're even attacking that now. May I have your attention, please? Need your daily dose of biker news? Then what are you waiting for? Visit HarleyLiberty.com and keep up to date with all the happenings in the biker scene. And wait, there's more. Insane Throttle Biker News is now on Instagram. Come on over and give us a follow and get special video content not seen elsewhere on the net. Just type in Insane Throttle Biker News in the search bar. In your face, all over the place. We're online 24-7, 24 7. Ladies and gentlemen, here it is. The most listened to radio show on the planet. Even the other stations are tuned in too. Hollywood's Motorcycle Madhouse on Spotify and iTunes Radio. I know, that's some intense stuff right there, isn't it? Now do you all see why it's very important to get into the fight and put those government agencies in check? This is exactly the same mentality that an Abel Reina had down in McKellen County. He used every dirty trick there was in order to further himself and his department at the cost of civil rights of over 177 bikers that day in Waco. This is also the very same reason we in the biker community need to get smart when it comes to keeping ourselves, like I said in the last segment, keeping ourselves off the front page news. These people feed on it and are empowered by the actions of a few in order to get the public to back them. You know, with the public's backing, there is no need for them to obey the Constitution. No need for them to play by the law. There's no need for them to play by the law that they're supposed to uphold. If the motorcycle club community, especially the motorcycle community, is going to fight a strong battle against these types of people, then you have to win the minds of ordinary people, ordinary citizens. Because let's face it, ordinary citizens are the ones who vote and sit on juries and you won't win them over when they see clubs killing each other. It's plain and simple. Clubs need to learn how to use the media to their advantage. Instead of shying away from them, clubs need to embrace them as a tool to get their message out. Because that's what Leo is doing right now. They're using the media as a tool. 
in the age of social media, this is more important than ever. It's basically time to evolve or go extinct. And that brings me to the topic that is actually near and dear to us at Insane Throttle, and that is the First Amendment. This is something that has come up in the Mongols patch case and actually quoted by Judge Carter when handing down his sentence. The right for citizens to peaceably assemble is one of the tantamount rights we have built in our Constitution. If you haven't read our Constitution, maybe you need to get used to it, and maybe you need to get acquainted with it. Another part of the, the First Amendment is the right to free press. And this is a topic that really needs to be addressed since it's under siege by social media platforms lately. Personally, I believe the social media giants need to be put in check. Man, do they. The shadow banning and intentional suppression of speech has been god-awful. It's been, oh my god, has it been bad. We've been told by our subscribers that they are not being notified on when we go live or post new videos. This after even hitting the bell at the top when they subscribe. This action is actually the main reason why we decided to open the platform up instead of keeping it under a specific amount of people. Our thinking is, if they're going to start shadow banning us, then we might as well let more onto the channel because maybe someone will be able to see the material. You've probably seen some weird looking titles for not only our videos, but also creators like Black Dragon and others. This is because if the title contains specific keywords or scenarios, they automatically demonetize the video. This is also the other reason why you've been hearing more channels asking for contributions because a revenue source has uh, been cut off. You know, before it was a lot of people relied on this, but now it's been cut off. And when that happens, it's hard for small time creators to continue putting out the contact content you've become used to. It costs a lot of money and equipment, time, and on some platforms, hosting fees. It might be free for the audience, but it is far from free for the creators to put out. So, what's all this have to do with the First Amendment? <clears throat> I'm going to give you a brief history lesson and it's going to become more clear on why this matters. First, freedom of the press is defined as the right to publish newspapers, magazines, and other printed matter without any governmental restriction and subject only to the laws of liable, obscenity, and sedition. The history of the American newspapers begins in the early 18th century with the publication of the first colonial newspapers. American newspapers began as modest affairs, a sideline for printers. They became a political force in the campaign for the American independence. Following independence, the first article of the U.S. Constitution guaranteed a freedom of the press. 
The U.S. Postal Service Act of 1792 provided substantial uh, subsidies. Newspapers were delivered up to 100 miles for a penny and beyond for 1.5 or a half a cent, uh, cent and a half. I don't know how that happened. When the first class postage ranged from six cents to a quarter. The American press grew rapidly during the first party system. And this is uh, where you got today's modern thing uh, from. 1790s through the 1810s, when both parties sponsored papers to reach their loyal partisans. From the 1830s onward, the penny press began to play a major role in American journalism. CNN, MSNBC, they got their uh, people, Fox, theirs, partisans. The protections of the First Amendment do not turn on whether the defendant was a trained journalist or formally affiliated with traditional news entities engaged in conflict of interest disclosures. And it went beyond just assembling others' writings or tried to get both sides of the story. As the Supreme Court has accurately warned, a First Amendment distinction between the institutional press and other speakers is unworkable. With the advent of the Internet and the decline of print and broadcast media, the line between the media and others who wish to comment on political and social issues becomes far more blurred. That from the Supreme Court. As everyone can see, when the First Amendment was passed, again, it was mostly printers of that day that circulated flyers. And they're the ones who actually got the revolution of this country going. There were no press associations or big media companies that claimed the title to the First Amendment. It was ordinary Americans, just like you and me, who got the news out. It's important to remember this, especially in modern times when big media is trying to monopolize the definition of the free press. Again, CNN's always in court against bloggers. And this is why you see social media like Facebook and Twitter putting together what they consider real news services. In my opinion, and many others, that goes smack dab right against what a free press is supposed to be. The more we as Americans sit back and continue to let big money run roughshod over our basic rights, the more and more they will fade away. Personally, I'm surprised at the lack of concern for what has been going on these past few years. Actually, since 2008 to be more precise. Our Second Amendment is constantly being attacked, and we all expect others to do the fighting for it. And now the First Amendment is coming under fire from a handful of people in the tech industry. 2009 or 2019 is the year of the fight against motorcycle profiling. Maybe... 2019 should be redefined as the year we take back our rights from those who would wish to suppress free expression and association. I'd also encourage the other creators, not just ones who deal with the motorcycle niche, but all creators to start pulling together and fighting back. Without us, these platforms have no business or viewership. None. Time we start our own revolution and take our America back. We need to start fighting. 
Because before long, all these leftist policies, all these other policies of government control, they're going to take your rights. So they're going to take your rights where you don't even recognize America anymore. Start fighting back. Hey, motorcycle madhouse listeners, want to share your opinions? Give me feedback or tell me what you're thinking. Send me a voice message. Voice messages are an easy way for you to send me audio that might end up in future episodes of Motorcycle Madhouse. They're the latest feature from Anchor, the platform I use to make this show. Here are some of the things I love to hear from you. Questions you might have for me. What you thought of the latest episode. What you think a subject you would like to hear in the future would be. Do your best impressions of me. I'll see all your messages and I might add them into a future episode. Anchor makes this super easy. You can send me a voice message right now from wherever you're listening. Just tap the link in my show notes. I can't wait to hear from ya! Motorcycle Madhouse every Monday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and Saturdays 11 a.m. Central Standard Time on YouTube and all major streaming platforms. In your face, all over the place. We're online 24-7-24-7. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Don't forget to go over to Insane Throttle's new YouTube channel and also get your daily dose of biker news every morning at HarleyLiberty.com. If you haven't done so already, go like the new Motorcycle Madhouse Facebook page. And until next week, I'm James Hollywood Machikari. And remember, keep that throttle crack wide open.